as you read the story, you're going to see that God is incredible about bringing together an amazing story. There's a grand scheme of love that God is orchestrating and bringing together that you and I are a part of. And you're not a bit player. You're not an accident. You're not just some, you know, faceless person. You matter to God. And so when you begin to understand the story, that's what begins to happen. It's God's story of love about you and me and how everything fits together. See, there's what we call the upper story. And I want you to think about that. The upper story is when we look at it from God's perspective. And as we go through Genesis to Revelation together over 31 weeks, what you're going to find is God in the upper story bringing everything together in an amazing way. Let me say this as clearly as I can, though. Not everything that happens is God's will. People choose all sorts of things that are not God's will, but in the upper story, God is never surprised. He's not on plan B. It was always plan A. He always knew he would do this, and he brings everything together in an amazing way if we love him, and live our lives according to his purpose. All things in the end work together for good for those who love God and live their lives according to the purpose. So the good news is we get to see the upper story and see how God brings all that together. But in the midst of it all, there's what we call the lower story, which you and I are living in. In the lower story, uh, we may not in the moment know how it all is going to fit. We may not get how God's going to bring and orchestrate this together. But God will. And so God at times in his Bible, in his word, shows us an upper story view. And then at times we go to the lower story. And then we understand, now here's the point, how much you and I matter to God and how our lives make sense. That's what we need to do and grab hold of. Today, we're going to actually go through nine chapters of Genesis, looking at the breadth of it and then going to the depth of it. You and I are going to see today an earthly dilemma that begs for a heavenly solution. An earthly dilemma that actually even now, while the heavenly solution is a little clearer, it still makes sense what God's doing in an incredible way. So there's an earthly dilemma that begs for a heavenly solution. The other thing you're going to see is this. God only gives the very good. Now that's important because I want you to know if right this second, you're not experiencing the very good. If you don't step back and say, my life is really, truly a 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and 10 life that eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor is it ever in the heart of man, what God has prepared for those who love him. If that's not your life, the very good life, then, then one of two things is, is the case. Either number one, it, it's going to be God's molding it, you're sensing it, you're trusting in him, he's about to bring that out. Or number two, you're not where you should be. Because when God creates and God gives, he only gives the very, very good. And I don't want you to miss that. So as we go through the breadth of what we're about to look at in nine chapters of Genesis, what I want to ask you to do is this. I want to have you lock in four wonderful lessons that we see uh, looking at the upper story. And these will start now and go all the way through Revelation. But four wonderful lessons I want you to hold on to. Lesson number one, God created and it's all good. God created, and it's all good. Where do we get that? It actually begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and look what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God is the central character. God is the most important thing that we need to grab hold of and lock into. In the beginning, God. Now, God created. He was not created. He does the creating. 
He's the uncreated creator. A lot of people say, where did God come from? Well, God inhabits eternity. God exists outside of time. God inhabits a place that does not need a beginning and an end. God created time and he created everything. And you and I need to hold on to that. We're told that God is the unmoved mover, that he's the one who brings it all into being. And so the cool thing is we see that God created the heavens and the earth. And the way he did it was by speaking it into existence. Everything that was created is because God spoke. He didn't wave his hand. He didn't have to go through some orchestrated motion or all these spells or whatever. God is so powerful. God is so infinite. God is so amazing. And by the way, God is so loving. He just speaks it into being. Now, this is important because if God can speak from the smallest part of an atom into being and at the same time make the whole vastness of the universe, then you and I need to know nothing is impossible to God. There's no problem, no tragedy, no difficulty that you've ever faced that God will not be able to overcome. And he loves you. You are a part of his story. You matter to him. And so I want you to know that when God looks at you and loves you, there's nothing that God can't do for you. There's nothing he won't do for you in reality in the end to bless you. Then as we go through Genesis 1, we see six times that it says God created and it was good. Six times and it was good. Now there'll be a seventh and it becomes very good. But the point is that God only makes the good and the very good. And whenever you find yourself in life really in the center of God's will, you find yourself experiencing the best. God will never give you second best and God will never give you okay. That might be for a moment you're waiting for the very good. You're waiting for the best. But it's only because he only gives the very best and the very good. And in James 1.17 it says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow every good thing given god gives good things in hebrews 11 it says we have to believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who seek him and as you see the story now and go through it in the 31 week process you're going to see that's who god is and what he does and then what does god do he not only makes everything he makes man And he makes man to be good. Now, it is interesting how this happens. Because we see Adam and Eve created as man and mankind. In Genesis 1, look at verses 26 to 28. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And I think verse 27 is worth underlining. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And notice how 28 begins. God blessed them. God blessed them. God made man in his own image, male and female, he created them. The first thing I want you to grab hold of is you and I are created to be image bearers of God. God wanted you to live out what it means to be godly and to be Christ-like. You and I are made in the image of God. By the way, dogs are not made in the image of God. And cats are certainly not made in the image of God. And if you're a cat lover, I do not apologize. I, I... The bottom line is is that when God created man and mankind, he created us in his image. Now, I know that most of you already know because you read it, that what happened is God created Adam, and then a while later he created Eve. So if God created them as one and created them to be male and female, why was there this space of time between Adam and Eve? 
Now, there's lots of dis, you know, discussion on this. Like there are some people who say the reason God did it is God created man and he went, I can do better. <laughs> so he saved Eve as the best for last. Now, a lot of people believe that. Other people believe that God created man, created everything else, and then created Eve because he didn't want her telling him what to do. <laughs> so, you like that one? Okay, all right. Uh, I'm not telling you which one I like because I want to keep my job. But, um, but the bottom line is, is you can't miss that when God created man and woman, he did this on purpose, and both are wonderful both are incredible. Both are good. And without man, it's not good. Without woman, it's not good. He created us together to be mankind. Now, the other thing you've got to grab hold of is this is a very intentional act of God, and he did it on purpose. God intended the whole time to make man and mankind. God intended the whole time to make you. You're not an accident. You're not an afterthought, by the way. Now, I know some people go, well, wait, 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 what about evolution? Well, you know, we're not going to get into that today. But what I do want to get into is that God said he made you on purpose. He spoke you into being. He, before the foundation of the world, he knew Adam and Eve would exist and you would exist. Now, when it comes to evolution, I've shared this before. There was a little girl who walked in to talk to her mother. And she said, Mom, where did mankind come from? And the mom said, well, honey, God created the heavens and the earth, and then God created Adam and Eve, and God created you and me. We're all created by God. And the little girl was like, oh, oh. And she walked in the living room, and she looked at her dad, and she said, Dad, do you know where mankind came from? And she was going to tell him. And he looked at her and said, yes, I do. There was just kind of this mass of, 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 of energy floating around that became a primordial ooze, and out of the ooze became a one-celled organism that multiplied into other cells, which eventually became birth to most different kinds of life, and eventually crawled out of the water, and then eventually turned into a monkey, and we came from monkeys. And she said, what? And he told her again, and she walked out, and she went to mom and said, mom, I, I, I went into Talk to dad, and you had told me that God created mankind, and God created you and me, and I went in, and dad said we came from monkeys, and she said, well, honey, I was talking about our side of the family. Um, <laughs> the Bible says that God created all matter, and you ready for this, and he created you to matter. He created you because you matter and you're made to matter. He created all matter, the, everything, but he created you. I really believe, and I'm going to just kind of have you think of this through if you're kind of questioning on this, that deep down inside you know your life is meant to have meaning. There's something inside you that says, I, I want to love and I'm made to love and I want to experience love and I'm made to give love. There's something inside that says, I don't want my life to be a waste. I don't want to just come and go and not have any reason behind it. See, you matter. You matter to God, and he made you to matter. He made you to have meaning. And I really believe when you're laying in bed at night, you, you want this. You yearn for this. And in the stillness, if you'd let God speak to you, he'd tell you you matter to him, and he made you to live a life that matters. I think if you go into the forest, and, and, and which I love to do, and you see the beauty of the creation and the expanse of the sky, that what you see is that, that you are small in the midst of it, and yet somehow you know you matter. You know you're that important. Somehow you know it. 
And then if you go sit on the cliffs and look at the vastness of the ocean and see how small you are in comparison to it, yet something inside you says, but I matter and I'm not important. And you're ready. You know why you feel that? Because you're right. You're right. Some of you go, no, Chuck, you're a narcissist. No, 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 no. On this, we're not. On this, we know the truth. You matter. You were created by God for a reason and to live a life that is reasoning and has reason to it. And that's what we see. And God created Adam and God created Eve so we would know that. And it's interesting that what it says about it is he created them. And when he was done, he said, it's very good because he created you for the good and the very good. Now, before they could go from the good to the very good, God does something. And I don't want you to miss this because this comes up all throughout the story. What does God do? God highlights the need Adam has. He raises a need on purpose. He shows him what's not good so that he would be able to embrace the very good. See, that's how God operates all the time. And you're going to find that not only in the story, you're going to find it in your life. That's how God relates to you and me. See, what happened is God created Adam, and then he says in Genesis 2.18 this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, now, I want you to not miss this. It is not good for you to be alone. It is not good for you to be lonely. And if you're here today and you feel lonely, I am sad to say you're not alone in that. Lots and lots and lots of people in the midst of big crowds, in the midst of lots of people coming and going around them, they feel so lonely and like they don't matter and like no one cares and God says that's not good. And that is certainly not the very good I want for you. Mother Teresa, when she was alive, came to the United States and she said something that shocked a lot of people. She said that she believed the United States was the most impoverished nation in all the world. She came from caring for the poorest of the poor, and yet she saw a poverty here that was worse than she had seen anywhere else in the planet. And you know what it was? A poverty of loneliness. We have all the material possessions, but we don't have love, and we don't have meaning, and we don't know what matters. That's a truth of the United States. It's a truth of the culture you and I are a part of. And, and she looked at it, and here's the thing you need to know. She cried real tears over the sad plight of people in the United States. And if you're here today, God cares so much, I know that his heart aches for any of you that feels alone and lonely. But here's the good news. He can meet that need. He can bring you to a place of wholeness and fulfillment. He can cause love to flourish. The church in and of itself is made so we would have each other and you would have a place here to share. That's story groups are for that. That we would have that. But God wants Adam to see that he's alone and lonely before he meets the need. So he highlights the need. How does he do it? He says, Adam, I want you to go name the animals. Now that might seem like an odd thing to do, but what it says is Adam went out to name the animals and he realized there wasn't one for him. He walked out and saw a lion. It said male lion and female lion. Oh, they have each other. Male giraffe and female giraffe, they have each other. Uh, I think he saw male hippopotamus and female hippopotamus, they have each other. And I think he turned and saw an orangutan and said, no, God, please, no, no, that can't be mine. (laughs) And he found out he didn't have anybody. Now, again, I want to point this out. See, that's how God works in our life constantly. There's going to come times in your life that a need arises, an ache is there, a longing occurs, and God says, see, 
See, I have something better for you. I'm going to meet it in a way that's going to be beyond your, your, your imagination. I want that for you. And so God desires that for you. And notice in Genesis 2, 21 to 25, how it works for Adam and Eve. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up his flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said... This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Did you catch what happened? He goes to sleep and God takes the rib and he wakes up going, whoa, what happened? And he looks at her and he sees this gorgeous creation in front of him. And he goes, whoa, man. That's how he gets the name. And in that moment of exclamation. Yeah, yeah, it just, God moves. By the way, it, it's, it's, uh, her name in the beginning is woman. Uh, Pam, my wife, doesn't like that name. Woman, come here. You know, but, uh, but the reality is, is that that's her beginning. It is this exclamation moment where all of a sudden something happens. And then verse 31 comes in Genesis 1:31, And it says, God saw all that he had made. And this is man and woman included. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So what is it we look, lesson number one, God created and it's all good. And when God creates in your life, it's good. And when God gives to you, it's the very good. So that's the first lesson. The second lesson is this. Man sins and everything falls apart. Man sins and everything falls apart. See, God has a plan Knowing this would happen, again, he didn't have to go to plan B. He knew when he gave us the ability to love, which he gave us as a gift, he also gave us the ability to choose, which is a gift. And so we see God bestowing love and bestowing choice, by the way, which we need to have love. And God had a plan in the midst of it. But he knew that people would choose to sin and it would all fall apart. By the way, what it starts with, though, is God giving out of love a command. Uh, in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. The day you eat of it, death will enter your life. I don't want that for you. You see, I, I don't know about you, but man, I, I just got to tell you, I, I know as a parent, I was so careful with my kids, and whenever I gave them a command, it was always because I loved them. I didn't do arbitrary things. I wanted to love and protect them. God, God does that for us. If you're brand new to all this, whenever you read the Bible and you see a command, don't do this, or I want you to do that, it's always for your good and for my good. He just, God's not arbitrary in this. We may not know it in the moment. God just wants to teach us things. This past weekend, we had Liam and Eleni staying with us, and we celebrated on Friday Sabbath with them, which was such a blast. And, and Liam is three years old, and he and I went out, and we sat on the swing, and, and I even said, you want to go play? And he's like, no, and we just sat on our porch swing and talked, and, and then I began to teach with them. I said, you know, mom and dad aren't here right now, and he goes, yeah. And I said, but you know they love you. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. So mommy and dad love you and you can't see him. Isn't that right? And he goes, yeah. I said, Liam, God, God loves you. You can't see God, but he loves you. And he goes, oh, God loves me. And he hopped up and ran into Pam and he goes, God loves me. You know, 
Now, I didn't know at the time he thinks that God only loves him. But um, <laughs> also during that weekend, I'm trying to teach him about love. Do you know what else happened? We've childproofed our home, right? Like most of you do when you have little kids. And so we've covered the electrical sockets where we had made some juice and stuff. So I left one of the covers off and I turn around to see Eleni, my two-year-old, going, our two-year-old granddaughter, going for the electric outlet. She's kind of getting near it. She wants to kiss it and lick it. Now, you know what I didn't do? I didn't think, well, you know, just let her have her way. More power to you, babe. You know, I didn't do that. You know, I, no, why did I do that? Because I love her. I love her. And see, here's what happens is when God loves, he says, you just can't do this. Don't do this. But yet when you and I sin, what happens is it messes everything up. It takes away the very good. And so what happens is Eve gets messed up. Jesus warned in John 10, verse 10, that there's a thief that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. He says, you know what? You could be ripped off, and there's one who wants to rip you off. Or you can have this abundant life, this amazing life, this very good life I want for you. And even today, in the God's story, you and I have a choice. So in Genesis 3, 1, the enemy comes. It says in verse 1 that the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? He starts by questioning God. What did God really say? What did he tell you? And then she says, no, we're not supposed to eat of it or touch it lest we die. And, and then he begins to do something. He challenges that and he attacks it. And by the way, this enemy wants to ruin everything. She has pleasure. She's living a life with no true need. And he wants to ruin it. And, and so what does he do? He uses the tactics on her. He uses on us today. The first is he denies God's word. You will not surely die. No, you won't. He denies it. By the way, that's going on today too. People are denying the Bible is God's word. I, I was talking with someone one time and I said, well, you know the Bible's not true. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? The Bible's historically true, right? And they go, well, well yeah. So then it's true historically. It's true archaeologically. Uh, it's true, by the way, prophetically. Every prophecy in the Bible that could come to pass has come to pass. So you can't say the Bible's not true historically, archaeologically, or prophetically. What do you mean it's not true? By the way, if you're here and you wonder, have you ever really looked at the evidence? The Bible's true. The Bible is God's word. We can say that because we have evidence for it. And if you never thought that through, I want to have you think about it. But by the way, not only did God provide the Bible, he's protected the Bible. The Bible's true. And, and, and yet we live in a time where people try to deny that. And, and there's an enemy that, that's behind the scenes filtering that in. The second thing he does, he reverses God's word. He says, no, you're not only not going to die, you're going to become like God. And today we're living in a time where that tactic's being used. God says, no, don't do this. And our society says, oh, no, no, no. If you do this, you'll be happy. By the way, people aren't happy. If you do this, you'll be more fulfilled. If you'll do this, you'll find love. And they don't. And most of all, they lose God. You see, we're living in a time where people say, well, the Bible's archaic and outdated and it doesn't apply to today. By the way, it could not apply to today more. And as you and I study the story, you're going to see that. And the problem is, is Eve gives in, just like many people do right now in our day and time, including us. In Genesis 3, 6, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate 
And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And sin takes hold. And now it's not going to be very good at all. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Man went from good to not good. He went from pure to sinful, from godly to fallen, from innocence to shame, from openness. Now he's going to hide. And of all things, he uses fig leaves to do it. The reason I say that is if you ever touched a fig leaf, I could promise you they make you itch. You would not want to put them on that area of your body where they put them. Which interestingly too, by the way, the Bible says that God came in the afternoon to see them. I think he, my, my opinion is he normally came in the morning, but I think when they put fig leaves there, he thought, let them squirm and just waited all afternoon. People choose dysfunctional ways to deal with issues and problems. That's what Adam and Eve had done. And what happens when God comes along and he says, where are you, where are you? And uh, they finally come out and say, we were naked, so we hid ourselves. God said, who told you that? What have you done? Why did you go there? Why now? Look, you're not even close to each other, and you're not close to me, and you're hiding, and you're hurting. And by the way, then they'd start doing something else. They would hurl and make excuses for what they had done. And you know what God did? God killed an animal so they could have comfort. It's still the Garden of Eden, and an animal has to die so they could be covered in a comfortable way. God loved them so much, he did that for them. I can't imagine the horror they must have felt to see this animal be killed and then the skins be made and then be covered. But by the way, that's what God does out of love. He loves them that much. That, by the way, also points to Jesus. God gave his only son on the cross. Jesus went to death. So you and I could find comfort and healing and wholeness and new life. Jesus had to die for you and I to get that. God so loved the world, so loved you and me, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. An animal had to die for Adam and Eve, and Jesus had to die for you and me. But don't miss why. It is because we sinned, but it's also because God loves, and he would do something like that. See, the earthly dilemma is that when man sins, when we sin, it goes from being good and very good to not good at all. And so sin causes everything to fall apart. Yet God in his love, God in his mercy, God in his graciousness wants to make sure you and I come to wholeness. So God had this in mind all along. The animal would be a temporary offering to give comfort. Jesus would be the ultimate one. So in Genesis 3 verse 15, when God is talking to the devil and declaring a judgment upon him, we get the first beautiful, wonderful prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. In verse 15 it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. What is this pointing to? By the way, it's pointing to an idea that something miraculous would happen. A woman does not have a seed, and yet God said, between you and her seed, 
Woman has an egg, right? An egg. And so what God was saying is one day something is going to happen because I will speak this into existence. I will speak life over the egg of a woman which will now become only her seed. In other words, a virgin will give birth to a man who will one day bring us back to God. A man who will one day strike a, a death blow to the head of the devil. And even though the devil will bruise him for a moment on the heel, he'll hit him so powerfully and strongly he'll vanquish him. And it's point to the idea that the ultimate comfort one day would come through Jesus Christ. You see, the rest of the story, the rest of the story is about bringing us to Jesus. I put that in your notes so you could write that down. The rest of the story is about bringing, uh, is about God bringing us to Jesus. That's what God wants. He wants to do that. So everything we read from this point on points to this. Everything is about this. You see, Noah is about Jesus' coming. Abraham's about Jesus' coming. Uh, Joseph is about Jesus' coming. The story is about the coming of Jesus Christ. That's what God is looking to. That's the plan he had all along. But also, I wrote this in your notes, the devil is on a mission to stop his coming. For everything you're going to read in the Old Testament is the devil on a mission to stop his coming. Why is there a Goliath trying to slay David? Because David's too big a part of the story. And eventually he's about the coming of Jesus. So there's someone trying to kill him. Why does Saul become demon-possessed and try to kill David? Because David matters that much. By the way, why at times do you find things going so horribly wrong in your life and attacks coming your way? By the way, why has some of you been so hurt? I want you to know, I really believe, while we do not want to give too much credit to our enemy, the devil, that at times if you could step back, you would realize the onslaught that just came your way is because you matter that much to God and he has something for you. And, and we begin to see that. Sin now, though, sin now in this part of the story brings a horror that multiplies. There's murder and there's death. There's Cain and Abel. The, 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 the twins, probably more likely the twins of, of Adam and Eve. And by the way, the word Abel means frail or sickly. So he's already struggling physically, and Cain is strong and powerful, and they come and bring their offering to God, and God accepts Abel's and not Cain, and what happens is Cain becomes jealous and bitter and envious, and he allows that to well up within him. Now, by the way, God's going to tell him in a, in a verse we'll see in a moment, he has a choice, but I don't want you to miss that that's a part of us all, that, that we, we have that sin in us, and it's there. I know some of you might say, well, I've never murdered anybody. But have you in your mind? Have you thought murderous thoughts, mean thoughts, cruel thoughts, wanting to tear into people? Why is that there? Well, it's that sin, and it holds us. We see it from the time we're little to the time we're older. You see it all the time. Not that long ago, I walked right out here, and, and I'm talking to a dad, and I look over. His, he's got this beautiful daughter and this really incredible son, and the girl's just gorgeous. And the dad turned to talk to me, and all of a sudden, the, 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 the daughter, the, the younger sister, walks over to her brother, seeing her dad doesn't see, and goes, pow, and hits him right in the eye, right out of nowhere. And I'm like, whoa, demon-possessed girl. And, uh, <laughs> and the dad turns, why are you crying? She hit him in the eye. By the way, I know her parents. They don't teach that. They don't have a nightly lesson, honey, when your dad's not looking, punch your brother. You know, that doesn't happen. It's sin nature that's in every one of us. And God says when that comes, it messes everything up. And it's a call for you and I to choose a different way, a better way. By the way, we have a choice. Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says this. Then the Lord God said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? Now notice verse 7 starts with an amazing, beautiful word, if. 
You have a choice. By the way, God gave you the ability to love and the ability to choose. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and it's desirous for you, but you must master it. You and I can choose not to sin. You and I can not give in to an evil that flourishes and makes it seem that all hope is lost. By the way, it seems at this moment in the lower story that a bleakness has come and all hope is lost and mankind is not going to make it. But in the upper story, we see it all point to a God who loves and cares and wants to bring us back to Eden. So God creates and it's all good. Man sins and it all falls apart. Number three, everything went from all good to one good. This again is big to understanding this story. Everything goes from all good to one good. In the midst of a depraved and a wicked world, there's a Noah. One good. And by the way, it's amazing to see him there. Look what it says in Genesis 6, 5 to 8. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. By the way, whenever you and I sin, God's sorry we did. Whenever someone hurts you and sins against you and inflicts pain in your life, God's sorry. It grieves him. It grieves him. Now you might say, then why does he let it happen? I'm going to tell you, get a glimpse now. You'll understand more later in an amazing way. But know that God, God cares. Now God, at this point in time, mankind is so evil, only one is good. He takes action. In verse 7 it says, The Lord said, I will blot man out, whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky. For I am sorry that I have made them, but... Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The earthly dilemma is now showing a heavenly answer. Even though all have turned evil, there's still one good, and that one good is worth saving. In the lower story, it looks bleak, but in the upper story, we see that Noah is the one who will bring us to Christ, the one who would deal the reeling blow to the enemy that tries to destroy us all. And so what happens is we can trust in that, that God is always going to reach out even to the one good. And by the way, praise God that he loves like that. And then number four, there is hope for you. There is hope for you to have the very good. There is hope for you and there is hope for me to have the very good. To have the one that would come later, Jesus Christ, be the one who brings us to to love, to wholeness, to joy, to, to meaning, to life that matters. It's for you and it's for me. And when we embrace that, then what do we have? We have that life that's abundant. Remember John 10, 10. Jesus said those words. He said, there's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. God wants that for you and God wants that for me. But don't miss the big picture. God wants your life to be very good and you matter to him and he wants you to live a life that matters. Right now I'm going to ask that no one slip out because we want to do something I think that's so important. I want you to know that not only does God love you, he invites you to this life. If you're a Christian right now, I want to ask you to start praying for anybody who needs this life. But what it is, when God came into the garden and Adam was in the midst of sin and Eve was in the midst of sin, what did he do? He called out to them. He said, Adam, Adam, where are you? By the way, I want you to know that if you right now are not in a relationship with God where you actually know him and know his love and know the life he has for you, he's calling out to you. I don't know if you can sense it, but I can promise you that one of the reasons we gather together, and this is the most important thing we're ever going to do right now, is invite you to come to God. 
invite you to enter this life, invite you to get the comfort God wants to give to you that was bought on the cross by Jesus Christ. We've all sinned, but every one of us are loved by God. And every one of us have a choice to choose love and to choose to say to God, I want the life you have for me. You might ask, how do I do that? Well, the Bible says, here's how you do it. You pray. You pray and say to God, I want that love. I want that life. I want your forgiveness. I want to give myself to you completely. And if you're saying, well, wait a minute, Chuck, you said that too fast. I I, I want to tell you what I'm about to do. I'm about to go to a time of prayer. I'm going to ask you if today you want to say yes to God for the first time. Pray that prayer with me. It'd be just like if I'm doing your wedding vows. I would lead you through it. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you're ready to say yes to God, I'm going to ask you to pray and whisper this prayer with me right here. And it's the first step in coming to him. And by saying to him, I want this life, he's going to come and love you. He's going to forgive you and cleanse you. By the way, if you have hurt and pain in your life, he wants to take that away. He wants to lift it and not let that be what defines you any longer. Today, if you're lonely, If you feel like if if I died, no one would care. If I just walked away, no one would notice. God knows and God cares. And God wants to reach down and show his love to you and pour his love into your heart. And then he wants to guide you to people who would now love you the way you should be loved. He wants you to live a life that matters. If you're here and say, I've blown it, I've messed up, I couldn't do it worse than I've done. Guess what? God couldn't love you more than he does. You might say, well, I'm already a Christian, but I've wrecked it all. No, you haven't. God redeems and God restores and God wants you back. So I want you to know today, if you're someone who needs to give your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. If you're hurting or in pain and you need freedom and healing and need to be made whole, and to have joy and restoration. God wants you to have that. I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer with me. If you're a Christian and you're not living a life vibrantly committed to God, I'm going to ask you to pray this with me. By the way, if you're a couple here and you need to do this together, do it together. Make today you, you together commit. If you're a family that needs to do this, oh, we'd love for your family to come to God. Last week at the 9 and 11 Each service, two whole families prayed the prayer together and came forward and committed their lives to Christ. And I thought that was incredible. And by the way, in the Bible, lots of times whole families make the commitment. See, God wants it for you. And maybe there's some friends here. You've been, you're way off base. You need to commit. You might be a couple who's dating and you're starting to mess it up. You know what? Stop. Give yourselves back to God and give your relationship to God. And I'm not saying that to embarrass you. I'm telling you that because he loves you and he wants it for you. So today we're hoping lots of people pray this prayer. And that's how you start, by praying the prayer. The next step, are you ready? I want to tell you ahead of time, is that if you pray a prayer like this and you really mean it, then what you need to do is do something to show it matters to you. The Bible teaches this. That if I pray a prayer and say to God, yes, I want to give my life to you, I need to also do something to mark it as special. And it needs to be done in a way that other people can see. And so today, if you pray that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something scary. But I know if you do it, you're going to sense God. I'm going to ask if you pray that prayer, right after we pray it, I'm going to ask you to stand, to make your way to the aisle, to come down here and let us greet you, and then to head in this room where we could give you some things to help you grow in Christ. And it's about us just sharing some things with you to help you know what to do next. You might say, wait, I would never want to walk in front of a crowd this big. Well, you know the only reason you do it is because you love God.
And when you do that, he knows it. He knows it. And you're going to sense you and him submitting together. So today as we pray, I'm going to ask that if God's touching you and stirring, that you whisper this prayer to God. And then right after that, I'm going to ask you to do something that bold. By the way, you can grab someone's hand and say, come with me. But even if you don't do it, I want to tell you, as you make your way out, you'll sense God's with you. And by the way, people would love to let you out. Don't let that stop you. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would stir in our hearts. Father, I pray that every man and woman, every guy and girl in this room would know. God, I pray they would know that that they matter to you, that the story is about them. They really are that important. And even though there's billions of people in the world and billions and billions that have existed, they individually matter that much to you and you care about them. And God, I pray right now they would know they're made to live a life that matters and has meaning. So I pray, oh God, that you would stir right now and touch anybody here who's ever doubted that. I pray, oh God, you would touch right now, your Holy Spirit would touch a person who's a Christian, but they need to come back to that truth. And that right now they would, they would recommit their life. They would be ready to say yes to you. And I pray they'd sense it. I pray for couples, Lord, that need to do this together, whether they're married or dating. And they need now to have their relationship put back in your hands. And they've got to say yes to you. And they've got to make this a moment of commitment. God, I pray for families that need this, that you touch them. And I pray for the one that wishes their family would. But they're so hurt. They're so isolated from them. They just feel like they don't even have family anymore. And God, I pray right now they would let your spirit touch and move in them so they could have have your love and have the meaning that their life really should have. And God, I pray for the person that's wrecked it all. But yet, God, you're about to put it back together. So I pray that they would know your love and they'd be ready to say yes. And I pray for the person that just has questions and they're starting to sense there is an answer. I pray, God, you touch them. Right now, I'm going to lead that prayer. And if you're ready to say yes to the Lord, I want you to know he loves you and he wants you. And I'm going to ask you to whisper these words with me. Say this. Whisper this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me and to cleanse me from all my sin. To heal me from all hurt and all pain to free me from fear, to free me from my past, and to free me from myself. And you did this because you want me to be yours and yours completely. So I say yes. Get those words out. I say yes. Yes, I want you. And yes, I want the life you have for me. So I open my heart. Please fill me with your love. And please fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I want to be yours right now. And I want to be yours forever. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. If you prayed that prayer, praise God.